0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to our Good Friday service. Um, If you haven't been to a Good Friday service before, these look a little bit differently than our Sunday morning services. Uh, Tonight, specifically, we hope to take you on a journey of the last few events of Jesus' life here on earth. So I want to invite you to ponder, to reflect, to uh, imagine yourself being in the story. What does it look like when we put ourselves into the story and imagine as if we were really there, and to really feel the emotions that, are, that were felt by the disciples, by Jesus himself, and to remember him intentionally in that way. And all the while we do that tonight, we're gonna do it in praise and in worship. So um, I wanna ask you to stand. We'll open tonight in prayer, uh, and then we'll worship, and we'll go on this journey together. So Jesus, we thank you so much for this night. We thank you for the event that we celebrate on Good Friday which is your ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. Thank you for loving us so much to the extent you would give your life for us. Open our eyes, open our ears, and help us to remember you intentionally and holistically that we would align ourselves more and more with you and with your story. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
1: This is a Swing the... Back.
0: Forever. You can have a seat. Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God. That was the, the essence of his message. It was the good news. The kingdom of God is here, it is near. And as he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which we observed last Sunday, um, Brian brought us a great message on that. We discussed that Jesus enters into this final week of his life, Holy Week, in victory this triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, he enters Jerusalem as a king. He's ushered in and he brings this new kingdom with him. The Holy Week is so important that one quarter of all of the Gospels is devoted to this one week of this man's life. It's that important. And now, even though many events happened during this last week of Jesus's life, I wanna draw our attention to the night before, the night before Good Friday. That night, Jesus celebrated his last dinner with his disciples. It was his last dinner. And what we can overlook sometimes, especially as Christians, we can overlook or just gloss over the fact that it wasn't just any dinner. It was the Passover. It was the Passover meal. And if you don't know much about Passover, that's for the Jewish people, that was one of the most important celebrations of their entire religion, because it was, it was a way to commemorate God's saving act in Egypt, when he was bringing them out of Egypt and delivering them out of there. You've, you've probably heard of some of the plagues, some of the many plagues that, that God uh, brought against Egypt, against Pharaoh, to try to convince him to let his people go. Well, finally, the last one was so severe that it involved the death of the firstborn son of every Egyptian. And so what God had the Israelites do is he had them slaughter a lamb and cover their doorposts with the blood as a marker so that God would pass over those homes, the homes for the Israelites. That's why it's called Passover. And so this was an event that was supposed to be celebrated and remembered every single year for the Jews. And this happened to fall the night before Jesus's death. He wanted to celebrate this with his disciples, And that is the context of the Last Supper, of communion. Jesus uses this night to institute a completely new practice that we celebrate today, that Christians across the globe in every age continue to celebrate, which is communion. He takes the bread and the wine, which were actual elements of the Passover meal. They played a role in the Passover meal. He takes those elements and gives them completely new meaning. And the Passover lamb, he takes that image and gives that new meaning by taking it on as a new title, the Lamb of God, sacrificed for us. In John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist prophetically sees Jesus and calls out and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus took this night and gave it completely new meaning. So as we look and move into the events of Good Friday, I want us to celebrate the Lord's Supper, celebrate communion together, just as Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. So I'm going to have Steve come up, and he is going to read a passage out of the Gospel of Luke, and he's going to guide us through communion. So if you have not gotten um, a communion cup there on the table in the back there, feel free to to go get one and... um, I will say this, open the cracker side first. You'll thank me later.
2: (laughs) Thanks, Alex. So if you would turn to Luke 22. Or flip, or click, or however that works. We're going to be reading verses uh, 7 to 20. And we're breaking in here into... Well, a little bit of context here. Uh, In the first six verses, Luke shows that, actually, this is all surrounded by a lot of political tension, by a lot of socioeconomic tensions, a lot of religious tensions. There's murder in the air. There's treachery in the air. There's betrayal. And Satan's in the middle of all of it. It's just highly charged. And so, in the middle of all this, Jesus carves out a way and a plan to meet with his disciples safely, and then to be able to celebrate this very first Lord's Supper. So, we'll start here in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So, Jesus sent Peter and John, saying... Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, I'm sorry, here. <laughs> the teacher says to you, where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepared there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, a cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Maybe if we can take just a couple minutes here, quietly, um, just to make sure that we're on good terms with Jesus. And then in a couple seconds here, I'll go ahead and lead us in the eating of the bread and drinking of the wine. And he took bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup. after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood.
1: as we continue along this journey in matthew's account of the same event as soon as all this was done all the passover was done the disciples went out singing a hymn of praise and that's a traditional part of the passover seder is ending with a hymn of praise to god so in that vein as we continue this journey let's stand again and praise our god
0: Ancient of Days. You can have a seat. I love the lyrics of that song. He's the Ancient of Days. I will trust in his name. He's the Alpha and the Omega. We sing that a lot, and we say that a lot, that we trust in, our, in Jesus, and we put our faith in him. But faith is difficult. If you've been walking with Jesus for any number of years, or if you've struggled to walk with him at all, I mean, you know that faith is difficult. We live in a world that loves the idea of faith, but it doesn't hold on to it for very, very long, or very often. For a lot of people, I think that faith has become kind of cute, in the sense that even if we think back to the last couple of weeks, these last couple of weeks, especially for our community, but across the world and the country, have been a really hard couple of weeks. So filled with darkness and pain. And faith is hard to have, but when someone stands up with faith, especially when there is no reason to do so, the rest of the world will tend to look at that person and, and say, oh, that's nice. Like that, that's nice that that person has faith, but simultaneously we will hold on to a sense of hopelessness, of defeat, or even nihilism. Because we recognize that this world is broken, deeply flawed, and it's not as it should be. There is so much hurt, abuse, hatred, vitriol, injustice, murder. There's so much evil. How is it that human beings can be capable of some of the most amazing beauties and goods in this world, but simultaneously be capable of the most sinister evils? There's sin, there's darkness, and there's evil. You know, one of the things that is used most often against the Christian faith to argue against the existence of our God is something called the problem of evil. You may have heard it before. And normally it's more personal than we think. Normally it goes something along the lines of if your God is so good, if your God is so powerful, how could that happen? We look at the events of this last week at King Supers. How could that happen if your God is so good and so powerful? Well, the thing is, with the Christian faith, we acknowledge the problem. We acknowledge that evil exists and that it needs to be dealt with. We know that deeply. It has to be dealt with. So the question of Good Friday is not why is there evil? The question of Good Friday is do we fully understand the gravity of evil? Do we fully understand the force of it? Do we, do we fully understand what it was that Jesus was out to do away with? Because we couldn't solve the problem. Human beings can't do it. Romans 1.10, no one is righteous, not even one. And that's not to say that no one's worthy of love, or no one's worthy of, of, of God to pay attention to them. The, 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 the point is that no one is righteous. No one is good. There's nothing that we could do to solve this evil because it's in us. When we come to Good Friday, we come to the ultimate expression of human evil. A man was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was spit on. He was mocked. He was betrayed. He was brutally Crucified and ultimately completely rejected as being worthy of life. And this wasn't just a good man or an innocent man. It wasn't just a good moral teacher that taught people how to live. It wasn't just a healer or a compassionate religious man. It wasn't just a man who loved the unlovable. This was the son of God in human flesh going the greatest lengths possible for any being to travel, from heaven to earth, from the divine to the human, to save the people that were going to kill him. It was evil. And Brian has re- regularly reminded us, he reminded us again this last Sunday, that if we were in the position of the Jews, we probably would have done the same thing. This is us. Evil is our problem. Human beings killed Jesus. It was our sin that put him there in the first place. Our sin, our evil, our selfishness, our violence, it's all of us. That's what made the cross necessary. It was evil. But see, the miracle of God is that he takes evil and miraculously shapes and molds it and recreates it into good. It's not a silver lining. We don't look at evil and say, well, at least maybe some good can come from it. No, God will take evil and he will make it good. Romans 8, 28 is one of my favorite passages. I come back to and hold it often. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God molds and shapes evil into good, including the cross, which is why we call it good. It's good to reflect on Good Friday, but it's also necessary for us to see it in the light of the fact that God has made it good. I want to take you to Revelation chapter 5. If you want to turn there and follow along, feel free, it won't be on the screen. But I want to take you to Revelation because this gives us a glimpse of the goodness that came from the cross, of the victory of the battle that Jesus won. This is the ultimate end of the cross. Revelation chapter five, starting in verse one. This is the apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples, receiving a vision from Jesus much later in life. He says, Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and on the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Quick caveat, there's a lot of imagery here that it's hard to understand, and I don't really understand it a whole lot either. But John sees this and he says, Then I began to whip, or weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. Jump ahead to verse seven. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your your blood has ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation and you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. Jesus, the lamb of God, the lion of Judah, the Passover lamb, He is worthy to open the scroll. He won the victory. He purchased us for himself. That's the fullest extent of the cross. When we see and reflect on all of the evil, all of the the death, the destruction, the hatred, the violence in this world, we see in the cross that Jesus purchased us with his blood. He's worthy to open the scroll because he was slaughtered. As evil as that day was, it was good for you and for me. Our hope is in the cross. And of course, there's more to that. We look forward to Easter, but as we sit with this and wrestle with how terrible that day was, that dark, dark day, we know that that Jesus is worthy, that he is able. So with that in mind, um, I want to invite you to stay sitting for this song and reflect on the words. Um, There's a few lines where you can respond as well. It'll be depicted on the screen, but uh, I want you to reflect as we sing this song on the truths that we just read in Revelation. So Tanner is going to lead us in that. I'm not Is he worthy? Well, the answer is yes. (laughs) But it's a question that we continue to ask today. And it takes different forms. We may be asking, Is he worthy? We may be asking, Is he able? Is he loving? Does he care for me? Can he fix my situation? What is he going to do about my pain? What is he going to do for our community? See, you see, we live in this tension of darkness because the darkness is still holding on as hard as it can. A great analogy to think about it is uh, the Civil War was an era where communication was a lot slower than it is today. When the Civil War ended, there were several battles that continued on for weeks because the message had not reached those battlefields yet that it was resolved. You see, the, the battle continues... But the war is won. Jesus won the war once and for all. He's done. He's defeated darkness once and for all. And darkness has nowhere to run, but it's clawing on as hard as it can. But we doubt. We're left in this tension. We're left in this world where there is still so much darkness. There is still so much pain. There is still so much evil. So we doubt and we wrestle can he really overcome our darkness, our suffering, our hardships? Even though we know the story, even if we understand the gospel, even if we believe in Jesus and try our best to walk with him, we're still in the middle of this junk. We're in the middle of it. And even after Jesus paid the price, his, his disciples didn't fully understand. They doubted, they scattered, they ran. They didn't know they were confused, but Jesus had already paid the price that was necessary. The benefit of a good Friday is when we take this time to intentionally remember what Jesus has done for us, when we look at Jesus and reflect on what he's done for us, that gives us a sense, a foundation to rest on, knowing that what our God says is true. When we look to the bloodied, mangled face of our Savior, we see the depths of his love for us. We see the lengths that he went, the evil that he bore, so that we could be his. And he promises us that he has dealt with our sin, with our evil, with our death definitively. He's dealt with it. So I want to invite you to look at Jesus with me for the rest of this time. We can't do that physically, obviously, but use your imagination. Let's get into the story. Let's feel the emotion. Let's go back and go on this journey through the events that Jesus went through for you and for me. The night before, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark 14, 35. Jesus says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He hadn't even been touched yet by one of his enemies, and his soul was crushed already because he knew what was coming. He was betrayed by one of his 12, one of his 12 closest friends. He walked with him for three years. They did everything together, and he betrayed Jesus for some money. The rest of his disciples completely deserted him and ran away, afraid, afraid. When he's brought before trial in front of the high priests, Mark 14, 56, it says, Many false witnesses spoke against him. Many false witnesses, not one or two, many. But they couldn't keep their story straight. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being put on trial and witness after witness after witness comes against you and makes stuff up and it doesn't line up with anybody else's story? But collectively, including the high priests, everybody dislikes you so much, they still want you dead. They will do anything it takes to get you there. It's unbelievably unjust. In Mark 14, 61 through 65, in trial, Jesus finally answers them. He was silent up to this point, and the high priest asks him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Jesus responds, he says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand, coming on the clouds of heaven. And after that, the high priest tore his clothes to show his horror and said, Why do we need any other witnesses? It's obvious he's guilty. What's your verdict? And the crowd yells, Guilty. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him. And they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered. And the guards slapped him as they took him away. Jesus told the truth. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't care. They hated him so much, even when he was giving them good news, they could not take it. They didn't want it, they wanted him dead. So they take him to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. They don't even want to do their own dirty work. So they take him and outsource this project. And Pilate couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus, nothing. Completely guiltless. Yet the Jews and the high priests continued to yell, crucify him, crucify him. So Pilate, as a coward, wanting to please the crowds, Says, okay. Hands him over to his soldiers to be flogged. To the point where very few people could survive that in and of itself. Then he turns him over to be crucified. They force him to carry his own cross up the hill of Golgotha. They nail him to the cross. And to add insult to injury, they gambled for his clothes. They mocked him. They spit at him. They made a crown of thorns and forced it on his head. And while he is hanging on this cross, we read in Mark 15 and 29, the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself And come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed. But he can't even save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. They don't know who they're talking to. They have no idea who they're talking to. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. This is what Jesus went through willingly for us. I don't know many people that would be willingly spit at, but the God of all creation was willing to be spit at, mocked, beaten, bruised, and murdered by his creation so that he could have a relationship with us, so that he could purchase us for himself. In Mark 15, verse 33, it says, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? The anguish that Jesus felt. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. It was a dark day, literally. Darkness covered the land. It was evil. It was wrong. It was terrible. But even here, even though Easter has not happened yet, Even though he has not risen from the dead yet, there is already power. And we can see glimpses of it in his death because the curtain of the temple is torn in two, which was not easy to do. It was an incredibly thick curtain, symbolically showing that God's presence is now available to anybody who puts their faith in him. And one of the Roman soldiers says, This had to be the Son of God. There's no other way, there's no other explanation. This is truly the Son of God. I've reflected on this a lot this season, but we live 2,000-ish years later past these events. We, We have the benefit of knowing the whole story. We have the benefit of knowing how these things fit together, which is why we can look back and call Friday, this Friday, good. His followers thought it was over but we know that it was just the beginning. His followers thought that death had won, but we know that Jesus defeated death. So as we celebrate Good Friday this evening, and as we look ahead to Easter in a few days, we continue to wrestle with this tension. We live in this tension that death has been defeated already, but it's still clawing on. There's still so much darkness and evil in this world, but Jesus has simultaneously taken care of it. And we can rest in that hope when we look at his face and know what he has gone through for us, for you and for me, we can rest secure in his promises. So as we celebrate the rest of this Good Friday, we choose to worship. We will praise his name. We'll praise Jesus for the sacrifice because he is worthy to open the scroll. He's conquered death, he's won the victory, and he has purchased us for himself. He has purchased you. You are his, you belong to him because of the cross. So let's look to the cross, praise his name, and sing our devotion to him. Let's stand. i is our Passover lamb just as the night before the day of his death he took on this title this new meaning of of the lamb of God we get to look to Jesus as our ultimate sacrifice and it is because of him it's because of the cross that God has completely passed over our sin it's not held against us it's not even recognized Jesus has taken care of it once and for all And just as Jesus and his disciples left that night, praising God and singing a hymn of praise, we couldn't think of a better way to end than sending you off in praise. So the team's gonna play one more song, but but go in peace, know Jesus' love for you, continue to look to him, and leave singing praises. So bless you, Rock Creek Church, bless you. Thank you for joining us here in person or online. And let's look forward to Sunday, because Sunday's coming. God bless.